to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We um, will be in uh, Acts chapter 8 if you want to turn your um, Bible to that. And we will have the verses on the screen also. Um, so Acts chapter 8. Um, we've been kind of looking at this idea of the movement of the gospel and the kingdom. And so um, we're going to be going from, uh, uh, we've talked about those ideas of transitioning. And, and Luke, the writer of this book, um, that's been some of his um, um, purpose and intent. And so you're always, when you're reading the Bible, you need to think through, what is this writer's intent? What's God's intent? And, and it's not necessarily just quick application points. Um, should I should I go to Arby's on the left or should I go to McDonald's? He's probably not going to tell you that, right? Uh, but but what's the author's intent in Scripture? And so we, we want to glean uh, wisdom, glean wisdom from that, um, and be able to learn how to uh, um, kind of uh, interpret things from the author's intent and that orig- original audience also. And so. Luke, as this church has just exploded, Luke knows, and God, the Holy Spirit, has led him to think through as he's writing this, this is going to need to be established truth for for this first 60 years, this first 150 years, this first 300 years. And so they're going to need to know some of these things that that were established. So Luke saying, I've gathered together with these eyewitnesses, those those 11 apostles that were remaining, and, and I want you to know this is true. We can, we can rest our faith on these things. And along with that, then he kind of goes into these transition periods. And so we're going to see that transition as we go forward here. Um, a key thought to think through in this last um, section for us today, it's kind of still the beginning in the book of Acts, but this idea of suffering, persecution, and rejection. Um, for the last 50, 60 years in America, 70 years maybe, it's been the accepted norm in a moral society to also at least agree with the idea of God. Um, so people would say around us, everyone in t- around Tulsa, very few that would just say completely, there's no way there's not a God. There are a lot of people in Tulsa that would say that. But the majority of people would say, yeah, I believe in God and I, I know enough. I've heard these little things, whether I was in church or not, that, that Jesus, that guy, at one time, he, he died on the cross and, and, and it, it, that's supposed to show us God loves us. We know John 3.16. The major problem with that is having knowledge of that and a complete disconnect, that it just doesn't matter. That's not a big, big piece of my life. And so a lot of people in the last 40, 50, 60 years um, in America have just had, had some sort of experience to where um, Jesus is just this quick prayer. You know, this, this, I may have talked for 30 minutes about three ways to um, have uh, better finances in a downturned economy. That, that's the message. How, here's how you can win. Here's how you can line up your, your finances, all these things. And this, I haven't talked about your sin. I haven't put out there that, that you are separated from God. I've told you how to make more money. And then at the very end, in 30 seconds, now everyone, bow your heads, close your eyes. 
Now, it says that if uh, anyone would um, confess with the mouth and believe in their heart, and, and so right now, repeat this after me. Well, I haven't told you what you're believing in. I haven't told you what you're confessing. Confessing is just agreeing with God on the weightiness of my sin that I should be dumping off to him. I haven't mentioned that. I've told you how to make more money this year or more money in, in a downturned economy. And then in 30 seconds, people are like, oh, oh that's, that, that's weighty. I, they may have feelings. They may have tears. They repeat. They raise their hand, and then they leave, and nothing's changed. And they may come for two or three more weeks, and it's just weird for them. because they, they, First of all, if they weren't regenerated, they weren't born again, worship is weird. Why are these people closing their eyes? Or you know, why are these people got their hands raised? Or why, why are we doing these songs? They don't even make sense. And so no changes happen, no transformation of the heart. And now tens of millions of people have that idea of that, I know that there's probably a God, and, and he and I made an agreement at one point. 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, three minutes. And what about the ones who do that little agreement or that little idea, that little repeat after me prayer mantra, and then Tuesday, Wednesday of the next week or two weeks later or two months later, just go off into all kinds of sin for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. But I have this idea. I mean, we know God exists. And so we have this huge thing going on that where if, if people have that idea of Christianity, and it, it, it's filled America, it's filled America, um, what happens when everything's supposed to be going good in life and you're 40 or 36 or 55 or 65 and suffering hits? My mom or dad get cancer. It blows away your, your idea of God. Some, some tragic situations happens with your children. It blows away your ideas of God because there was nothing substantial. There was nothing to rest upon, especially not the sovereignty of God. He's just this thing that, you know, if you, if you do have an accident, you have to face him one day, just pull this card out. Remember, I was at that one church meeting. I, look, I had, had that prayer. I even remember the guy's name. Like, we're going to be able to argue with, with holy, infinite God and make our case before him on how good we were compared to other people. Those things will be not even in your mind at that point. And so um, that, that's a difficult thing. And so we're looking at suffering, persecution, rejection, and even the extreme death in this case, um, threatening our faith and threatening us to understand this idea of the goodness of God. Because when persecution or threats or difficulty come, it does challenge us on our understanding of the goodness of God. Um, so it's not a, a matter of if, but when. So have you ever had situations and events in life that made you question the goodness of God? Um, it's that, that old uh, philosophical idea of the problem of evil, or if you study apologetics, the problem of evil. If God is good, Bible says he's good, and God is all-knowing, and, he's, and he's, he's good and loving, and he's all-knowing, he sees everything that's happening, and he's all-powerful, then why would he let a deer get hit by a car and lay over on the side of the road for the next six hours trembling and hurting? Wouldn't you be a better God? If you were all-powerful, man, make the car swerve. Make the deer wait one second. Make the cat, the squirrel, not cross the road, much less a tragedy with a child dying or an adult dying. Is he loving to let that happen? He's all-powerful. Couldn't he change that? 
And if he knows all things and sees all things, so this goes to the depth of our being. And you may feel like you're strong. I've seen many, many people. We've walked with people in over 23, 24 years of ministry where they were the ones leading the charge. They were the leading Christians. They were the ones that everyone respected. And one little event hit their life, and it, it all dissolved. It unraveled. You probably have seen that. To where they're, they're done with the faith. They're done with God. They're, they're done with uh, following him because of this one thing. And, and though they n- had all kinds of knowledge and all kinds of uh, truth stored away, so suffering, these t- type things. Have you ever gone through things where you asked, how could you let this happen, God? All I've heard is that you're loving and all-powerful and all-knowing. So how did this happen to me? And that, that may hit your life at some point. And, and I, want, I, want, I want you to know, so two things on that. One side, there's an irreverent form of that where you're just in his face screaming. And so my grandma used to tell me that we never question anything about God. You never ask why. Well, I've, I've learned through some good seminary books and some good, good, brilliant people that like the Psalms are full of people asking, hey, God, why is this going on? Why? It seems like the, the, the evil people around me are prospering and, and, and your righteous people who are following you, we're going through suffering. And so it always usually resolves itself in those Psalms. Like Psalm 73 is a, a good one where it, it, it happens there. It's that picture of that. There's a couple of Psalms where it doesn't resolve itself where it comes back oh but god when i come back to see what you've done i understand we're going to be in eternity with you all sin will be taken away all pain and suffering will be taken away and those who are separated from you are going to suffer for all eternity woe to them god and so um questioning those things it, 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 one thing you don't want to ever come with this just attacking um uh hatred towards god about those things but there is an aspect of asking, God, help me understand. Help me have wisdom what's going on here. What are you wanting me to learn from this? And, and not betray, letting your heart harden. That's what we have to do when these times come. So there's this God-centered perspective and this me-centered perspective. So a God-centered perspective is a type of living where all of life, my work, my time, my income, my family, uh, my freedom, um, my free time, uh, my church time, are all lived with a growing awareness of God's kingdom and God's presence in my life. It makes me aware that God wants to use me for his eternal purposes, right? So that's a a God-centered perspective. A me-centered perspective is a type of thinking where it's very normal and natural and a comfortable indifference, non-concerned way of living that delights in pursuing all of my desires, my own fun, my own goals, as if heaven and hell and lost souls and salvation were not even a part of the equation. I just have an indifference. I'm not concerned about those things. Um, And living in that indifferent, uncaring form while saying, I do believe that there's a God, is um, thinking a 1% acknowledgement that that his existence is is pleasing to him, thinking that I I can live completely indifferent to his his purposes, to obedience to him, to his righteousness, but, oh, I admit he exists, but I'm just going to live selfishly. That is sadly a very big form of Christianity in, in America, in the Western world. Europe, same thing. It happened several years back for them. So, What's shocking is that main mindset and understanding for tens of millions of people, that's referred to as Christianity. Um, And when you adhere to this me-centered version of Christianity, again, 
when suffering and difficulty and, and, and pain comes, we don't know what to do with it. Um, and so we, we see it all the time. So a good question to consider is, is life easier and better following Christ? Is it better? Does that matter? And so maybe it's not always easier and more comfortable and, and better for, for, for this year, for this five years, for this three months. Um, maybe it's more difficult. Maybe um, the things that hit your life, it'd be easier to numb out and just check out, to medicate with spending, to medicate with new stuff, to medicate and numb out with substances that just, that just allow me to just numb out versus to sit in suffering going, God, I know you see me, and though it doesn't feel like this, I know you're near, you're present, and that you love me, and you are good, no matter what I'm going through. That, you don't get posters for that, right? But that's the truth. And so as we go through this, um, this is Stephen um, being martyred, and, uh, and, and, and then the transition that happens after that. And so we're going to see here a sovereign God who's loving, caring, and in the middle of that, it makes us, this should bring us to question those deeper things. So let's read here in chapter um, 8. We're just going to really just hit in, uh, the verse, verses uh, 1 through 4 or 5 there. And we're not going into the story of Philip going down. That'll be in the next section. Um, but let me read that and then we'll pray. In chapter 8, And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. As an example, Luke gives us, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So let's pray. Father, we do come to you asking for your Holy Spirit to give us insight into how this applies, the significance for our lives. Um, it would shock us for several people to just be martyred out in the streets in America. It would shock us. I don't know who we would run to, God. Would we run to senators and representatives? Would we run to Supreme Courts? Would we run to uh, gun stores? Would we run to politicians? Would we run to isolation? Or would we run to you? Would the word of God go forward if that were to happen here? Help us to think through the significance of, of our time, of our lives in this weighty situation. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um, as we, as we go into this section, notice the very first thing. So we, we know that the last section in chapter 7, the guys picked up stones and started th throwing them. And, and Stephen sees heaven opened up and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And these stones are literally hitting him. And so uh, I've got a slide. This is kind of a famous uh, I think It's one of the famous ones. So that's Paul there on the right. Um, but you can see there's probably a much bigger crowd. But 
man, that's a rough way to go down, right? Like, that's a rough way to pass away. I know some of you had heard, you know, uh, Tim Keller passed away this, this past week. And, and so just, you know, had been uh, battling with cancer and went home, has hospice, and just passes away. Man, we, we've, got to, we've got it down to where we, we can give, administer some drugs to make those last days and hours just less painful for people, right? Um, and so that, that, that's a gift of God, right? That's a grace on our lives. This is not the way to go, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a tough thing. And so... Um, Acts 8, 1 only looks beautiful if Acts 1, 8 is in context. If Stephen is your dad or brother or husband, and this happens, it's all a waste. It's it's all horrible if Acts 1, 8 doesn't fit. So they're beautiful together. When you read, and Saul approved his execution, And there's this great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. It only fits under the context of Acts 1-8, where Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And Stephen's going to be a wonderful, wonderful witness. He gets it. He is in love with me. He glorifies me. He is is telling others, with the threat, the city I was killed in, right outside these walls, he stands and tells them, and rocks start coming, and his life is over, but it's not wasted. That's a beautiful life. And he says, in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And so you're going to be my witnesses. Um, Some powerful transitions are occurring um, the martyrdom of Stephen becomes a catalyst for the gospel and the kingdom to spread beyond the walls of Jerusalem and the customs of Judaism. Remember, we talked about this. So these Jews were so angry and ticked off because he had brought up, and uh, Peter and John and some of the apostles had already brought up, that this system of Judaism, you, you grabbing an animal and taking it to the temple, is now not what you need to do. You don't have to go up to the temple and bring an animal and do a sacrifice. The dietary laws that you've been living out, you don't have to go by those anymore. The societal laws that you've been living out and that generations and generations that that have been lived this out, just stop. Just stop doing them. Now the temple is you. The Holy Spirit's filling you. That seemed like blasphemy for these Jewish leaders that were trying to... uh, Protect monotheism. What do you mean doing away with the system? What do you mean no more sacrifices? Hey, there was one sacrifice. And by the way, it was you guys who killed him. It was Jesus on the cross. That was the one-time sacrifice. All that other stuff never took away sins. And so all of those things, beautiful transitions from Judaism to the foundational doctrines of, of Christianity. And also, now we're seeing it spread to these areas that they hated. So Judea and into Samaria. Remember the Samarians? Uh, they had been some of the Jews for generations before that had been taken off out of uh, Israel, taken to other places. They intermarried with other people, other nations, other people of, of other faiths even, other religions. And then they kind of settled into this Samaria area. If you remember Jews, they would go a long way out of the way 
to go around Samaria to get to another place instead of just going the shortcut right through um, Samaria. They despised and hated the people, not only ethnically, but religiously unclean is what they, they, they believed about that. So that's why when Jesus brings up and uses Samarians sometimes as the example, it shocked and kind of frustrated and made them angry, the Jewish crowd. And so some beautiful transitions are happening. Um, Also, Stephen's words and prayer in front of Saul must have been a powerful catalyst because here in Acts 7, as Stephen's starting to get hit with these stones, Luke's telling us he looks up and sees Jesus standing and you go to chapter 9 in Acts, and Paul's riding in with a big army, riding through in, into Damascus. And what happens? This light comes, and he drops down and scales are on his eyes, and everyone gets knocked off their horses. It's a freaky thing that happens. And the voice says, this is Jesus whom you're persecuting. Why are you persecuting, not the church, why are you persecuting me? You just killed Stephen. That was your work. And so some big transitions, man, a powerful thing for, for, for Paul to think through. And so you have to see Luke's intent here. This is good news going forward outside of Jerusalem and outside of Judaism. Not a, not a religion of works anymore, but a religion of faith in, in, in Christ and his work. He had the finished work. Um, so um, we've got this movement of the gospel and the kingdom and witnesses beyond Jerusalem. God purposely calls, uh, the next slide I have there is, God purposely calls his people to live as faithful witnesses in tough places. So think through an area of town or a group of people, and you might not want to admit it, but that you really just look down on. And so we've seen some stuff with that, with some of the race stuff that's been going on the last few years, right? Stuff that comes out. Um, and, And in that... It, it, it's an ethnic thing where, where I don't really like those people. And God sends you to that difficult place, that difficult people. God purposely causes people to live as faithful witnesses in tough places where the gospel is not being enjoyed and treasured. So um, in verse 1, there, when Saul says, it says, Saul approved his execution, think through, standing in power, I'm having these guys do this, and then you hear him saying these things. Now, Paul was a God-fearer. He wasn't saved yet, but he was a God-fearer, right? He was standing for monotheism. He, he, he goes into his accolades later on and talks about, uh, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was the highest order, my, uh, the highest tribe, all these things. But none of that really mattered if it wasn't for Christ. And so Paul sits there and watches this. So think through. Um, in our day and time, Christianity has become really, really comfortable. Um, we're worried about when Target says, hey, let's do unisex bathrooms. We're worried about all the, the cultural things that we're, we're dealing with. What if it went way over here to where someone's standing just coming out of a church and someone just takes rocks or just goes up and shoots them and says, it's because they go to church? just because they were a Christian. And what if the law, the laws and the, the people that were powerful just went, hey, you know, we'll, we'll take them to court, but you know what? Them being a Christian um, doesn't protect them any more than anything else. We're just going to let that person go free. Would that change? Would that affect 
what we think of as Christianity in America, if, if this comfortable form began to be attacked. So it's happened all over the world. It's still happening to this day. We think that's so um, rudimentary and so crazy to think through. It's happening every day. We have just lived in a, a graceful period that, that some would say we've clearly taken for granted and assumed a lot of grace. And so what would that do to you if someone was martyred in front of you? Because that's what happens with Paul. So Luke's wanting us to connect those dots. He's standing there watching. He hears what Stephen says, and he has to take that with him. Think that would mess with you? That this guy's willing to die for Jesus. Think through what, what that would be like compared to our version of Christianity, like I started out saying. My goals, my plans, my agenda. I prayed this prayer one time. Surely I'm covered. I know God exists. I wouldn't deny God exists. I wouldn't say that Jesus didn't die on the cross. It just doesn't really matter in my life. I'm not worried about my sin. I'm just trying to do these little things. I'm I'm not really worried about that. I'm I'm just kind of managing my sin. And I'm not saying he's not real. You see the difference there? Um, It would be shocking. Um. So it would probably change some things. Um, God purposely calls his people to live as faithful witnesses in tough places. So think how foreign and wrong this type of perspective is. Think of some of the philosophies that I hear this all the time by people that I know, every one of these people are inside the church, just people around our lives. Um, hey, man, just, you, you just got to be you. You be you. And they may not mean, you know, like go and live in debauchery and do whatever you want, but, but just this idea of, hey, as Americans, man, can't worry what people think. You just, you be you. Man. Um, man, just, just go find yourself. Live the life God owes you. Um, live the life you've always dreamed. You deserve more. You know, in marketing, even like uh, the powerhouses, like a Walmart, right? What is, what is their theme that they landed on you know, over 10 years? Like live better, live, save money, live better or something. So they want to get it very concise where you can just memorize it. And if you save money, you will live better. Easy equation. And so th- these companies want to capitalize on that. Think through that versus God wants you to lose your life in Christ. Think of the difference. God wants you to lose your life in Christ, and use what he's gifted you with, your, your, um, your ability, your capacity, your gifting, your intellect, your, um, your mind, your resources, your time for his purposes. Now, you've still got to provide for your family. You've still got to um, live a life and, and have a house and have a vehicle or you know, use public transportation or whatever that looks like. You've still got to do some of those things, but, but living in a way where God has, has, has clarified to you, I want you to lose your life. Think of the difference between what we've kind of bought into. Again, go find yourself. You be you. Do what you want to do completely under the category of this is the Christian life. Verses, you look at, look at Luke 9. Think through Luke 9. Jamie and I, you know, we got to go yesterday and kind of celebrate with Jackson Wallace and his graduation. Uh, the night before was uh, going and celebrate with Seth. 
and, uh, and hearing these students get up and talk about what they're going to do next and all these things. Hey, they're going to go to, to this uh, workplace or they're going to go to this school. They're going to do these things in life. Here's what my plans are. Um, Luke 9. If you want to follow me, if you want, want to be a follower of Christ, come and deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Again, verses. You be you. Pursue everything that you want. Just wear a Christian t-shirt while you're doing it. And we've created this whole category that that's okay. Um, and when Jesus said that, he wasn't saying, hey, here, here, here's just an option. Some of you, one out of 10 of you Christians, one out of 10 of you deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And so later on, he goes in, the the person who loses grasp, control of their life to say, God, I I want you to use my life, who who, who lets go of controlling what they want it to be. And like, I I don't want any of the trouble of the church. I don't want any of those relationships. They're messy. I don't want any of all the drama. I don't want any any of all that stuff. I just want to do this. I want life to go better. I want more money. I want us to, to have this upward trajectory. Jesus said, hey, the one who loses their life, will find a new identity in me. So the idea there of God wants you to lose your life in Christ. The one who holds on to this and holds on to this, they may prove that they're not even followers of me. That's a scary thing because we've created a category in America where you can live that way and churches know if you teach the other lesson, people aren't going to gather to hear that. People don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear about their sin, their, their, their temptation and, and, and pattern to always be uh, self-seeking, to always be looking out for their own good, not being concerned about others. So you think through Stephen's life here. Um, one of those ideas sounds appealing and one sounds absurd. You're going to miss out on life. And again, so you may, you may think, hey, Sankey, you're just being very, very dramatic. You're drawing this out. You're standing in front of a person who just died and was just just bludgeoned for the faith. It's a reality. I, I know we're not seeing it, but it's a reality. Versus this other very casual idea with no cost, no sacrifice. I get to opt out. It's optional. Any kind of suffering, any time of time restraints on my life, any kind of sacrifice, any type of giving of commitment and cost, no, I just want to know that I'm going to heaven and I'm going to just make myself happy. And we've said, that's eight out of 10 churches. That, that's the message and that's what you want to do. Um, your best life right now. Does that work for Stephen? Does that work for the apostles? Does that work for the early church for hundreds and hundreds of years? Does that work in 2023 in China or in South Korea or North Korea or the Middle East? So, uh, you know, billions of people, that's, that's not even true for them but we have a special category with an asterisk. Well, our founding fathers, they guaranteed us that, that we have to be. We, we get our Christian rights. That's absurd. That's not what controls our life. That's not what controls our destiny. It's God's sovereignty. And so if things get to the point where people were to have to die for the faith, man, there's some big theological arguments. Piper has posited that in the Middle East, in Muslim nations, it will be upon the blood of the martyrs that the gospel spreads. That's Acts chapter 8. Upon the blood and people, missionaries and others are like, how dare you? 
you're saying that more people must die before the gospel spreads. And they're saying yes. And missionaries have spent 40 years are saying that. And people don't like that. Interestingly, sometimes pastors in big churches in America that have a bank account of $4 million of sitting there like, don't say that, don't say that. That doesn't fit into our theology. I've got a message of prosperity, health, and wealth. How does that fit into it's going to take more and more martyrs for a few years? And those people, they're usually blind that, oh, there was more martyrs in 2022 and 2021 and 2020 than there were the first 2,000 years all put together. We, we don't like to look at that. So, the, I mean, there's more martyrs in the, the last 100 years than there has been in the last in the 2,000 years built up altogether. So crazy things. So what would it take? Um, this caused those people to spread out. If you see there in, in the passage, um, Saul is ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women. What was that like? And the word ravaging there was literally this picture in the Greek of a, a dog or a wild animal finding some, some dead meat and going just ripping with its teeth, ripping it apart. So when you see an animal just ripping to shreds this, this piece of meat laying there, that was the picture of Saul ravaging the church. What about those family, the families that were left? What about the kids? Moms and dads were taken off. They, they just saw this Stephen thing happen. Um, think through our concerns of even you know, what Christianity looks like here in America, our government. Um, lost culture. Lost culture is turning on Christianity. And some leaders are teaching that God would never allow that to happen to America. Man, you've just got a biblical witness of him saying, this is probably going to be what it's like. You're in a graceful period. Not that we want that to happen. Man, we want revival. We want for God to restore us. We want to, to pray and turn back to him. But we want that at the same time we want this still casual, comfortable, no, cap, no cost, no sacrifice Christianity. I, I believe God exists. That's enough. And it just, that's never been the way for the first 2,000 years. So um, how do these evils being played out allow for an understanding of the goodness of God? What was that like as those people went forward? What was that like as they went into Samaria to the people that they thought were enemies, that were, that were unclean? Um, I want you to think through what that's like. Um, now those who were scattered, it says that they went about preaching the word there in verse 4. Um, there's the, our English does, it's kind of a misleading wording. Um, it's very clear to everyone, the ones who were scattered. So remember, it says that the apostles stayed back in, a, in, in Jerusalem. Um, that, there's a reason for that. They were building a foundation doctrinally for the church because they're going to need that. Antioch and all the church plants are going to, uh, all over the place, they're going to keep going back to Jerusalem and Antioch later on to make sure that what they're teaching in these other places, uh, like Ephesus and Philippi, are, are, we, are we making sure that those are true? And so you've got Matthew, Mark, uh, first Mark, and then Matthew and Luke's gospel, um, and then some other New Testament letters as Paul is going into those places, and they're going, is this aligning? And so you've got this foundational element in Jerusalem. So the apostles were there together. They were probably going for years talking through, remember when Jesus said this? Remember when he said this? And they're piecing those things together, and, and God inspired some of those people to, to write those things down, right? So that, that's, that's foundational. That's We were... Um, eyewitnesses to these things. But as that's spreading, um, as, as 
persecution breaks out and people start going into Judea and Samaria, it did not mean that they were gathering in a synagogue and all those people were standing up preaching um, in, a, in a form of, uh, of this. It, it, the, the word there, preaching, um, preaching the word, it meant that they were going and as they would disperse into these little towns, they weren't power people. They weren't people who just got a synagogue immediately. They weren't someone who was now the pastor of the church. They were living their lives and sharing the gospel of, here's, here's the story. It's not. So remember, Sumerians, they're, they're kind of inter, interbreed, they're uh, um, mixed. And so they would say, we do know of some of the Old Testament uh, Juda- Judaism and Old Testament um, systems. And so they were trying to show, hey, this Christ he fulfilled all that. So they were having to explain that. That's what it means, preaching the word there, that they were showing them Christ fulfilled all that. All those systems that we used to do, we don't have to do those anymore. Jesus fulfilled that for us. And so um, as they went forward, that's what they were doing. They were being witnesses. As Jesus said in Matthew 1.8, you're going to be my witnesses. Jerusalem, didn't, I didn't pause and tell you, you know, um, Stephen's going to die, and that's going to spark people to go out to these other places because you would have probably never left. Some people say, I, I don't think that there's a scriptural argument for this. People use this in the context of pushing people towards missions. They'll say the problem was the church was being disobedient, that people were too comfortable in Jerusalem. Uh, there's no historical backing that it was comfortable in Jerusalem. And so but people have tried to say, like, oh, it was really comfortable Christianity in Jerusalem, and God did this to Stephen to make this happen. Well, God did allow this. I don't think it was comfortable Christianity. I, don't, I, I, I know it was part of God's plan the whole time, but um, it wasn't the, the only way that God could have done that. But um, it's not necessarily, uh, I think, scripturally accurate to say they were disobedient. But some people make the case that they were, they were not going on to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The gospel was going to stay there. I believe it was just part of God's plan. You don't have a strong scriptural defense on that. So as they do that, then Luke just says, hey, here, here's an example. And that's why I have the second thing there is God purposely sends light into dark areas. Philip goes down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Um, so we're not covering that section. But now you've got the gospel going past Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem, literally, and Judaism into an area that where there was all kinds of different faiths. There were people who had an understanding of God's Old Testament Israel, but there was a lot of people who didn't. And so now the gospel is transitioning. In the kingdom of God, Jesus landed. The kingdom is here. Repent. Um, turn from your sins. And now he's provided salvation. That story is going forward, so the kingdom of God is spreading. Um, Jesus and the Holy Spirit now are working in the body of Christ. As they had worked through the apostles, now movement of the kingdom is going forward, and it says that there was great joy. So you're seeing people in Samaria saved. Now, this is going to become a problem. As Paul then becomes the main character later on after he gets um, saved, as he starts spreading the gospel different places, now we've got a major problem. All these Tulsa people and all these Oklahoma City people, they're not Jews. They're, They're not they haven't grown up in the uh, Judaism system, and and now um, are we sure that salvation has come to them? And so that's a, that becomes a big theme because people are getting saved, the Holy Spirit's coming and doing some powerful things, and now 
um, you've got people who are not Jews, Gentiles, who are getting saved. And so you get to Acts 15. They, it's called the Acts 15 Council, uh, the Council of Jerusalem, where they say, are we saying that all these Gentiles are truly saved without being circumcised or without going in, into any of the rites of Judaism? And they had to say, yes, it's by faith alone in Christ alone. And so that becomes a big thing. We, again, we can't even imagine what that was like. That was huge. That was shocking for them. And so... Um, this acceptance by the, the Gentiles was there. Um, I've got Romans 11 up there. It was a huge thing that they, they brought up. Uh, but what then, this is Paul saying, you know, Israel failed to obtain what was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Another thing that Luke's wanting to start transition here, difficult stuff. Jerusalem, what do they do? Rejected the message. What happens in Samaria? The outsiders the heathen, the, the ones who had no, they accepted it. So you're going to see this transition. Remember, it's huge. Lots of different books in the New Testament are about this transition into the Gentiles. Salvation come to the Gentiles. Where it says there, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, talking about the Jews, ears that would not hear, down to this very day. David brought it up. And then he says in verse 11 there, So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion be? Acts chapter 8 is riches to the world. That's us. Man, that, that, that's why we're here today, because of Acts chapter 8. They cross the threshold where riches to the world the gospel breaking forward to Gentile nations. So, beautiful picture. Um, I want to encourage you guys because um, a couple of things that um, I'm not a really good encourager. I don't. I don't. I definitely don't appreciate like false flattery. Uh, but I want to encourage and, and praise God for Sojourn. We're a small group of people, but um, lots of weaknesses. We we could grow in 95% of different areas, but two specific areas that we're different in, I would say that there's this DNA that's formed. Number one is living as witnesses. I, well, I don't go through the first one, just live people that, that talk about in their daily life. They're, they're sharing stuff in apologetics with people. They're in their workplace and they're, they're, they're bringing stuff where literally most jobs, they wouldn't even be allowed to do this, but they're, when someone brings up a need or a problem, they'll, they'll stop and pray for them. They'll talk to them about God. They'll pray with them. They'll, they'll talk to them. We've got people that just in workplaces, in their homes, um, neighbors that just walking with people for years and years. And sometimes it, in all those cases, we want it to end up, you know, like three weeks later, the person like, you know, this nice little bow at the end where they just come running to the church. And you're like, oh man, I, I just talked to her twice for like four minutes and she surrendered her life to Christ. She's the most passionate Christian I've ever seen now. And we want to look like that. And she's like, you just bought 15 Bibles and she's ready to go to the Muslim world. And, she, and like that just usually is not the situation, but faithfulness is. And one of the things that you guys have been phenomenal at is being faithful witnesses, being witnesses. And another thing, the second thing is being grace-oriented. What I mean by that is learning to still have truth, but to still have a grace-orientedness. Um, again, week after week, I hear that. And I want to say, don't stop, but I think most of you do that extremely well. Your job, your home life, relationships, um, where people come with maybe... Um, different backgrounds, specifically lifestyles that kind of the church for the last 30 years has kind of ripped those, those lifestyles apart and just kind of like thrown rocks at that. And we've said, hey, we're not going to throw rocks at you. Man, 
I'll just walk with you for a while. I'm not going to compromise my truth. We're not going to compromise what the Bible clearly says on some stuff, but I'll just walk with you without hating you. I'm not going to put you in another category that the church just throws rocks at. And so I want to let you know, you have been examples. I think that we've got some DNA of that. I think that God could use that. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2, has a, that's a beautiful picture of that. And the last part there, that verse 8 down at the bottom, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And so that's what we want to be doing. If you look at the rest of that, um, you yourselves know our, our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from, our, from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God, by Christ, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. We, we cared about you so much that we shared with you um, not only the gospel, but our lives as well. And so that's what we want to be. Um, that's, the, that's the type of place you want to be. Um, as believers, we want to have a lifelong journey learning the great commandment and the great commission living. Um, but it's all for the glory of God and for the good of those. And as we finish this out, as, as we're transitioning and, and thinking through the transition that we're seeing there, as you look forward, here's where the book of Acts is going. So we've just covered that first section there um, in Jerusalem. Luke's intent. It's the gospel and the kingdom spreading. It's the birth of the church, and then it's the expansion and persecution of the church. And so we've just covered those two areas. And that now we're going to see, as Luke's intent is, is shown there, going the gospel going forward into Judea and Samaria. Um, and so you'll see there the witnesses to the Samaritans. Then you'll see conversion of a Gentile. And now we've got a big deal. Now we've got a Gentile conversion. And then Paul is converted. Big one in chapter 9 there. And then um, and he clarifies, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. So God's glory and God's gospel going forward into the Gentile places. And now you've got the apostle to the Gentiles. And then the witness to the Gentiles. And then the gospel going forward to that next section from chapter 13 on through 28 to the ends of the earth. And so some, some things going forward. And now here we sit because of what we read in Acts chapter 8, because of Stephen's martyrdom. So um, in our walkaways, just thinking through what's the application of that, God purposely causes people to live as faithful witnesses in tough places, places where the gospel is not being enjoyed and treasured. I think God has placed us in this area. We have tried for you. I've had over 30 different places uh, of looking, and we're not sure where we'll end up, but, but we know that he, he seems to keep us in this area, right, in this little three- or four-mile area. And then your area where you live, whether you live you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes away, that, that's kind of the area that you're living faithfully, your neighborhood, your workplace. Um, and so um, we, we want to see that continue. God purposely sends light into dark areas to spread the kingdom. Um, it may be in three years' time. It may be maybe you know, in two years' time um, that, that a couple says with, with children or an individual says, hey, I feel like that um, God's kind of calling me into missions. I want to go live over there where Mike and Jess Krebs live uh, in, in Jordan. I want to go and share the gospel in that context. I want to work there with them. 
Um, so he sends light into dark areas. Um, 7,500 to 10,000 churches closing every year. Um, in 10 years' time, that's 100,000 churches closing. Um, that's why this is so difficult, why church planting looks like this, why the message can't be about your comfort or just your, your conveniences. So going into and, and breaking up the ground, the soil, when you've got a soil in America that doesn't want that, it, it takes time to work that soil. It takes time to till that soil and to plant seeds and then to trust God to bring fruit. That, that's, that's slow work. And like I said, I'm not a great encourager, but you guys have been doing those things. God is the one who brings the fruit. And so as believers on a lifelong journey, and we are learning great commandment and great commission living. That's what Acts chapter 8 shows. Now the gospel goes forward all the way to the point where the gospel has come to your seat, to your address. Now what do we do with that? What are we going to do as the gospels come to us on its way to other people? So think through those things this week. Let me pray, and uh, Brad will come up and do a, a closing song for you to kind of think through and contemplate. Um, thinking through, what does that look like in the people around my life? Are there areas that I can be uh, a little more um, faithful? Maybe I, I've built friendships so good for three years, I've never even talked to them about spiritual matters. Um, Maybe it's uh, feeling like that, man, my own life is so full of sin that man, how, how could God even use me? I've got to get my life in line and abiding with Christ. So let me pray. Father, we, we do come just seeing your work through Christ, through the Spirit. Um, this is not man's work. This is not man's idea. They didn't even know what was going on, the, the way we feel many times. Um, we do trust and rest that you are working around us, that there are people around us, souls of men and women and children that need to hear repeated times of the gospel, need to see repeated gospel deeds and works. Um, we need to see um, people engaging with the gospel. We trust that the Spirit's working, and so we pray that you'd use our lives. Um, maybe it's not the death of one of us like it was with Stephen, but you would use our lives to be a catalyst for other people. And we thank you for um, your word. We thank you for the spirit that's working. We, we pray, Lord, that you would bring in a mighty harvest. Would you help us to continue to be a, a faithful witness, a faithful gospel presence? And would you help us to be um, truly um, uncompromising in truth, in biblical truth, standing on your inerrant word, and at the same time, grace-oriented, a welcoming, loving group of people um, that are so merciful, so graceful in the same way that you've been with us. Would you create that DNA in us? Would you help us to um, love and enjoy the people around us and love and enjoy you to a greater degree? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.